Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Fixie pre-show. First of its kind, the red carpet, if you will. It is me, Lee Carlo, here with Jeremy Fisk and Chapin Hemingway. And this week, we are going to take a little bit of time to try to cover... Everything that happened in movies in 2020 that will not be included on that award show. We're going to talk about some documentaries, maybe some short films, some personal highlights of the year. Uh, anything that we can't get into the four-hour and two-minute Snyder Cut of the Fixie Award show. Uh, guys, this Friday, the 9th, our nominees are due to Palmer & Associates. So I know that we are crunching things down. We are finalizing those lists. We are watching every last minute of 2020 cinema that we can before then. Um, what time are they due? Uh, I don't know that we set a specific time. Okay, 11.59 it is. <laughs> 11.59 Pacific. <laughs> um, I mean, they have Palmer and Associates. They have people there all the 24 hours. Good, so good, good. They'll, well, you know. Around the fixie time of year, I think they start you know, operating a twenty-four hour schedule. They have to, yeah. yeah. Three and it's three a pretty shifts. big. It's a pretty big operation over there, from what I understand. So they, uh, it's it's not it's not too much for them to handle, but they do a good job. They did a great job for us last year. We're happy to have them back, helping us out, tallying the nominees, and um, sending the winners over to us in sealed envelopes before we record the award show next Sunday. Um, so guys, like I said, we're going to talk about some, uh, things from 2020. I'm going to walk us through it. Uh, we're going to talk about some documentaries. We didn't have a chance to really talk about some of our favorite documentaries from last year. We wanted to make sure that we had a chance to do that this year. Um, we're just going to spend some time on any, really any movies that we feel like are worthy of some kind of a recommendation that aren't fixie award contenders. So we're going to be very careful not to... Uh, reveal any information about what's coming up next week. Um, and then additionally, we're going to do something else new on this episode, and we're going to uh, announce an honorary award, what we're call, what we calling, at least for now, I think it's a working title, the In-Between Award. And we'll explain that when we get there, but I'd like to start, guys, with documentaries. Um, Chapin, you have been what? somewhat of a vocal adversary to documentaries being included in the fixies, but I, I will say that I 100% agree with your reasoning as to why we aren't including them amongst our nominations. Um, but devotees will remember that just two years ago, Minding the Gap was a Best Picture nominee for all three of us, and yeah. it was a nominee for Best Cinematography. Last year, there were no documentaries included and this year there are no documentaries included before we get going on you know some of the ones we want to talk about Chapin explain to our audience what do you explain to us why is it that we are excluding such an important type of movie from the fixies uh yeah look I would be open to doing um a, a documentary category um I, I just think that it's it's a totally different muscle from a filmmaking point of view like I I would say like the like the work that I do, the work I was doing today, for example, is very much like documentary filmmaking and it's just it's not it's not the same as creating a narrative out of thin air. And um I I really enjoy documentaries. I like the work that I do. I like watching documentaries, especially, you know, 
even kind of like not Oscar bait documentaries. Mm-hmm. I like watching like, you know, shitty Netflix documentaries um, as well. Uh, and it's nothing against documentaries. It's just that I, I just don't think they can be analyzed in the same way. Um, you know, I was, I was, I know I was the guy who pushed mind the gap, but, um, yeah, you know, it, I, I, it's, it's not the same, you're not working with the same tool. So I just don't think it makes sense to compare them. Like you would never, you would never nominate a best actor in for a documentary. Right. You would never, I, I don't think you would write, you would nominate best writing for, for, for a, a, a documentary. Um, so if it can't really compete in those categories in the fixies, I just don't think they belong in the uh, best picture discussion. But I also have to say that, like, I, I just don't have time to watch them all. Well, and that's another good point. Look, we we collectively have already watched uh, well over 150 movies this year. Um, in preparation for the fix season. And, and that's just kind of tallying our list. Um, that doesn't include other movies that we've watched throughout the year that have just been ones that we've either forgotten or were never in any consideration for uh, a fixie award. And it'd be interesting to do a documentary category, but look, we just, you know, the three of us all have other jobs. We do our very best to make sure that we can find time to, uh, devote as much of our attention to this podcast as we can but um documentaries for a lot of the reason you just discussed end up a little bit further down on the priority list so to to put together a category means we all need to see probably a minimum of 10 documentaries to put together a top five and that's just challenging but uh we have seen a handful this year and there are some that we liked quite a bit so jeremy i'll kick it over to you do you have any one in particular or a couple that you'd like to highlight from 2020? Well, sure. But before I would like to address what Chapin said, um, pretty sure we used to have a category or we used to have a segment called docu- documentaries or movies too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess they're not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we're changing that concept. Look, And it is interesting that progressive you, podcast. You, met- <laughs> you mentioned like you never do best actor or, um, mm-hmm. Because there are a few movies this year that sort of blur that lines with actors right. and whether they are documentaries or not. Um, thinking of uh, specifically like uh, uh, Bloody Noses, Empty Pockets, for example, that one, you know, has some actors. And honestly, I, I didn't know, I didn't look it up beforehand and I tried to guess and I, I was completely wrong who was the actors and who was real in it. So. Um, and then, of course, we do have narrative films that also blur that line this year, like uh, Nomad Land, um, and a few others. What's the one about the uh, the English family? Oh, sorry, we missed uh, you. Sorry, we missed you. Yeah, that's another one where there's sort of non-actors. Jeremy, you're but, the only one um, that saw Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets among us. Yes. Uh, it's kind of funny. It's like I enjoyed it, but I feel like the um the 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 catch to it like what appealed to the ordinary person is sort of like if you've never been in a real dive bar which of course i have a bunch of times so i almost felt like I've, you're in one you right know, now it, yeah it's not it, it's not that unique of an experience to me but it is 
it is an interesting uh, documentary and definitely worth seeing. Um, I would say, though, that of the ones I saw, uh, I would probably give my best of to Boys State, which I saw most recently. Um, and I know, Lee, you really like that movie as well. I did. And, and going, I was thinking a lot about the, you know what I like specifically in a documentary. Because I've watched a handful, and you know the one in particular that stands out to me is, is Collective, uh, which is the highest rated on Metas- Metacritic among documentaries this year. It was nominated for Best Documentary. Um, and it sort of follows the investigation into a um, some hospital malpractices after a fire in Romania that killed about 80 people. And it's an interesting story. It's a compelling story, but it really just follows the investigation. And to me, that isn't all that compelling in comparison to something like Boys State, which is very much about characters and following their journey and even maybe in some ways a little bit of their narrative. Uh, it's about this camp that's been going on for a long time, this one in particular in, in Texas that's called Boy State, where it's essentially like a uh, they pretend to they play politics and they they vote on uh, party leaders and uh, seats in their in their government. They divide it up into two, basically a Republican and Democratic Party. They don't call them that. They think they call them the Federalists and the Nationalists, nationalists or something like that. Um, and it's a fascinating look. This takes place in Texas. Obviously, there's a lot of people who are extremely conservative that are among the boys in this camp. Um, but one of our main characters is much more liberal. He shows up wearing a better O'Rourke T-shirt and kind of parades around that he's the more liberal of the group. And it's amazing how smart these guys are and how they play politics. And it's also a little bit frightening. <laughs> it's amazing how smart they are. Um, and that's the thing that I kind of took away from it is just how like how much politics is just a game in the end because they play it the same way that we watch sort of politics uh, unravel in our bigger democracy Um, except for you get to really know these kids on a personal level. And I mean, from what I understand, I heard an interview with the the filmmakers for this a while ago, but they kind of stumbled on these three as their main characters, which is incredible because these characters are incredible. Uh, I don't remember their names. Jeremy, I don't know if you have it pulled up. and I know you just saw it. Uh, I know uh, Rene was Rene, one yep. of them. Um, he was... Uh, I don't have it in front of me, though, so... Um, but... Uh, Rene, Ben, Robert, and Stephen Garza. Stephen Garza is yeah. the liberal of they the did group such a they did such a good job of just following these kids and like you know i don't know how much you know and that's another argument we could always have about documentaries because like everything is like how much is um manipulated and how much isn't and what was really you know what was shown to us in comparison to what they left out because i mean that's the decisions you have to make as a documentary filmmaker but they just seem to be able to be there and and, and capture um, the little nuances of their expressions and fa- you know faces and interactions and you could just feel it for these kids every 
uh, time they had to either, you know, go up and give a speech or if they were sort of uh, made fun of or insulted or, or whatever it is, like, um, they just, they did a really good job of being right there with these kids. Um, okay. I, I have a question for both you guys and, and Chapin, um, this will be fine for you too, even though I know you weren't as able, able to see as many documentaries, but I, I kind of want to know what you guys ideally want out of a documentary. And if that category itself is in many ways becoming tiresome, because we had a few this year, uh, well, we had several this year, a few of which I saw, uh, time is one of them, um, which is about basically a, a black woman's journey to try to get her wrongfully convicted husband out of, out of prison. Um, welcome to Chechnya has to do with, um, LB, LBT, LB, T, G, oh my God, <laughs> it's too many letters. I got this. <laughs> LBGTQ rights. Um, 76 Days is about the initial response in China to coronavirus. Athlete A is about a uh, trainer for the Olympic gymnast, U.S. gymnast team that was molesting the girls. Crip Camp is about uh, uh, oh. rights for disability, uh, disabled people. Uh, on the record, I believe, is about um, someone coming forward to admit that they were raped. So you're, like, you're saying wh- they were grim. <laughs> grim and like it's just that seems to be the focus of documentaries right. is to outline to tell the stories of things that are just so heavy and i it's enough like it's i the world is enough for me like do we need yeah. this like that's why boy state was like, so great because it was topical but it was irreverent in many ways and i have a hard time especially now watching those type of documentaries um, and I sort of shy away from them because when I watch a documentary, I either want to learn something mm-hmm. or I want to feel something, but I don't want to, I don't necessarily need to be that ingrained in tragedy. Right. Like that's the thing I, I feel like, yes, the documentaries might be good, but like, what's the, uh, athlete a, like I have no interest in that. Like, I, you know, it's a terrible story and obviously we should explore how it was let let to happen for so long but i know i know it's not going to be you know it's not going to be like an enjoyable watch in any way shape or form um and i do i kind of shy away from those documentaries and maybe that's that's not fair um but like the few that i have seen this year that i enjoyed like um, uh, and this isn't really as much document. It is a documentary, but basically, it's a, a filming of a, a sort of magic stage show. It's called In and of Itself. It's on Hulu. That was that was really interesting. It was sort of original, and it's it was emotional. It definitely, you felt something, but it was never it was never tragic or, um, you know, w- was using despair to to manipulate the audience um so i thought that one was super interesting and also dick johnson is dead which is sad um but they tried to use humor to tell the story of an aging father so chapin which i think is a good way to do it what's what's i know some of your favorite documentaries obviously we mentioned mine in the gap i know senna yeah is it as a favorite of yours Uh but like what is it 
So it, let's put ourselves in a hypothetical situation. Like, if I told you two months ago that hey, there's like five documentaries about that are like that are like X. What is that that would make you more interested in watching them over something else? Um. Well, there's a couple things I was looking at, like this list of best documentaries, trying to answer that question. I, I think that it's nice when there is a big reveal, right? Because yeah, when there is a surprise true. in the filmmaking, um, in the story, you really feel like it's incredible. Because, like, I'm thinking of capturing the Freedmans, for example. Like, yep. Um, yep. Or, uh, well, let's see, what was this other one um, that I was looking at? Or like D- Dear Zachary. Yeah, I, that, I haven't seen that, that but I remember one, you guys but... talking about it and I know what it's about. But yeah. like uh, like the Thin Blue Line, for example, like the guy gets out mm-hmm. at the end of it. Um, but what I think is like, what I love about documentaries is their ability to sort of, you know, much in the way we look at films, like tell a story about, tell a very singular kind of insular story that you can just really get into and relate to Um and, and, and understand, but then expand it into something like a real reflection of society. And I'm thinking like OJ made in America. OJ made yeah. in America. Exactly. Or, That's what uh, I was just you know, like the thin blue line, like looks into, um, uh, there's this like devastating movie by like Werner Herzog is a really interesting documentary filmmaker. Like he did a movie. I'm forgetting what it's called, unfortunately. Yeah, about the death row. Yeah, guys, about right? the guys on what death row. What is that row. called? Um, that's really good. I mean, his documentaries are really great. Into the Abyss is that? What that's no, called? that's something. That's something that's... different. <laughs> oh, actually, it might be that. That might be what it is. Um, or you know, like like I'm thinking of like Jiro G- Dreams of Sushi is another one. You know, that's more on the nice side. There's nothing surprising about that, but it's just like a look inside something you know you don't see every day and. Yeah, into the abyss. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I mean, like, I, I don't want people to think that I don't appreciate the art form. Like, I did this today. I interviewed somebody on. I interviewed two people on camera, and like one person performed a lot better than I expected to, and I was like relying on this other person to really do well. And I pre-interviewed them, and um, it it just didn't it didn't go as well as I had hoped. Um, I think it went fine, but. It's just like I, it's not it's not a, it's not just as simple as like sitting someone down in front of a camera and getting something. And I think documentary filmmaking is really hard and challenging. But I think at this in the same time, like it's challenging for us to talk about it too. And it's not like it's not worth talking about. I just think we we I think one of the things that I like about our podcast is that we chat about these things that you know elements of story and acting and all those like mechanics that make up a good film and they just aren't relevant here. Well, and the other thing, too, is that a lot of what you're talking about is proof of how hard it is to make a documentary because it it is more than just sitting down and revealing information. And to try to critique a documentary in that way doesn't give you a lot of openings to be anything but prescriptive, right? Like you just say, well, they should have just done it like this or they should have revealed that later. And, like, that's not interesting to do either. We try to avoid that all the time. I think another so, thing that documentaries do is reveal what's interesting about a subject that you might otherwise not understand. Like Senna is a great example of that. And and to a lesser extent, there's a documentary series on Netflix now called Drive to Survive about Formula One. And it's just like 
you know, if you guys sat down and watched a two hour Formula One race, I think you'd be bored off of your out of your mind. And to, to some extent, I agree with you like the you know, that but finding the drama in these places where you wouldn't think it would be, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously the NBA is a very dramatic subject. We all we all you know, everybody loves basketball, but like, th- would you ever think you could make a 10 part documentary about the Bulls, you know, right run uh, kind of. <laughs> But but yeah, but, but I mean no, to sustain like, that kind of interest for that yeah. across that many episodes, like I think that's pretty incredible. Same with OJ Made well, in America, and it's also for like people who, like you said, like for me, that's going to be interesting no matter what because I was a huge basketball fan back right. in the nineties so and yeah. the Bulls. But like Sarah loves exactly, it, exactly, like, yeah, like it. It's for people who aren't even basketball fans. God, that wine looks so good. Well, because they can plug into something too, like. You know, that plugs into the 90s, which, you know, is a generation or a decade that we grew up in and, you know, came of age in. And so to look back at, like, all these things and, like, how how significant Michael Jordan was to the 90s is relevant to more than just somebody who likes basketball. And that's something that the documentarians were aware of and cap- and capitalized on. Can we, um, can okay, so on? let's yeah, let's move on. Chapin, I'm gonna we're gonna move on to something that finally you're interested in: short films. No, <laughs> I think you'll be talking alone on this one. Well, I just I I only had had okay. uh, really one I that films. I wanted to recommend let's to people. Short, don't make a short film. Make a feature. Trust me. Why do you hate short films? Chapin? Oh, I don't know. I just don't like them. I don't understand why short films aren't more widely distributed and appreciated because our attention spans for features are shortening i don't know ask quibi um well quibi did, failed didn't it <laughs> yeah that's what i mean yeah well i i think that one i mean speaking of grim but there's an animated short on that's on netflix that's nominated for an oscar called if anything happens i love you uh i'd recommend it there's no dialogue it's about uh, i think maybe 12 minutes long and it's about a grieving couple uh, after their daughter is killed in a school shooting. Um, like pass. It's really well done, guys. It's obviously heavy. It's a tough watch, but it's a really well-made animated short that touches on a subject that filmmakers are not interested in touching, um, which is understandable, but... Um, I would recommend it to people if you have the stomach for it. It's not very long. It's streaming on Netflix. It's nominated for Best Animated Short. Okay, guys. So we've got a new category of sorts. It's an honorary award that we're going to give out. And we're calling it the In-Between Award because we haven't thought of anything better. And it's not necessarily an award that we'll give out every year because uh, it really yeah, kind of depends give it on... This year. Yeah, it depends on when movies are released and if we're able to see them. Now, for people who don't know, we we are um, we are continuously and repeatedly being held down by the other award shows. They see us as a threat, um, so they spend a lot of money to make sure that we don't get screeners of things that all you know that we don't have the same type of access to to movies that they do so what ends up happening is movies that are maybe released in limited theaters in like los angeles or new york or aren't released in in the case of this year uh anywhere are streaming 
until outside of our uh, scheduled dates for fixie eligibility, but technically count towards the previous year. So basically, they end up in this gray area where they can't count towards the fixies last year. They can't count Wait, towards the fixies this, this isn't year. Isn't this unique to this year, though? Like, that wouldn't normally happen, would it? It could. I mean, if something doesn't come out, if like if something's released in limited theaters in like New, New York and Los Angeles, that's con- technically a U.S. release date, which is what we use, but wasn't available for us to see until like, you know, April of the following well, year. Well, that's stupid. So um, we have three movies that, that fell into this category that we've nominated. Um, they're A Hidden Life, which we discussed on the podcast about a year ago or so. Uh, a film called Les Miserables, which is a French police procedural. And Portrait of a Lady on Fire, also a movie we discussed on the podcast. Um, guys, any thoughts? Did you guys see Les Miserables? No. Did not. No. You should. It's quite good. Okay. Um, it takes place in the same area where the uh, the famous Les Miserables was written, hence the name. But it's a pretty gritty police procedural. Basically, plays out almost in a day, a day, uh, single day movie about this guy's first day on the job and kind of the two veterans that um, don't exactly play by the rules. Would you say it's like Training Day? No, not. Not like Training Day, but <laughs> I can see where you draw the uh, draw the comparison. Hidden Life, guys. Any any updated thoughts on this movie? I don't really have any updated thoughts on this movie, other than it's it still sticks with me, and that last sort of scene is still haunts me. Um, like I haven't been able to really shake that, and I think it's one of Malick's best work, if not his best work since tree of life well that has to be a fact yeah. isn't it doesn't it chapin you've seen this yeah. stuff in the middle um i don't know i mean having not to step on next week but having seen nomadland like and and what people are doing consciously running with terrence malick's style i i really think he just he's such a lost filmmaker <laughs> and you know I when Christopher Plummer died, I went and watched some clip, clips of him online, and one of them was when he was telling in some interview about how he told told Malik to get a writer, and Malik was wasn't happy about it. And but like I completely agree. I mean, um, and in retrospect, like I, I I you know I'm I'm the biggest Malik fan out of the three of us, and I think Tree of Life is like a brilliant film that I want to review with you guys again because it's been ten years, um, and but. I don't know. I didn't. I I thought. I thought a hidden life was 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 rather was gorgeous and had some nice elements. You mentioned a couple of them, Jeremy. But all in all, just like did not need to be that hard to watch. Um, and I I, I I honestly don't get it sometimes. Like when you when you see how powerful his style can be, and I'm gonna give Nomadland. Nomadland style to that is Malik style. They talked about it, mm-hmm. and and you can see how if you just tell a little bit, you tell your story just a little bit more conventionally. I mean, I don't think anybody would call Nomadland conventional, but it is certainly conventional compared to Malik. If you just like, if you just like, give a little more thought to structure and a little more thought to storytelling, 
that style can be so powerful and so moving. Um, yeah, I mean, I do remember saying a hidden life that it was repetitive. Like he, mm-hmm. he just, it almost seemed like he didn't know what to do next. So he just took the same shot he used six times of the, the bird flapping the hallway <laughs> or the whatever. Um, and he just, it, it didn't have any rhyme or reason to. And, and, and so like, you know, I don't want to ever tell a filmmaker how to do things. You know, we, we can love them, we can hate them, whatever. But, you know, he, he, I'm 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 giving him a compliment in a way. I'm just I'm saying like how effective it can be, and we know this from Tree of Life. From it's been a while since I've seen it, but the New World from um uh from um the Thin Red Line. These are great movies. I I, I but yeah, I I don't think a Hidden Life is one of them. Um, and I'm ready to move on. Like I I don't think we need to be you know, going out of our way to praise Malik, who has, I feel like, passed the torch, or perhaps the torch has been taken from him in the form of Chloe Zhao or, um, you know, Portion of a Lady on Fire, which we can talk about next. Yes, and our our winner of the in-between honorary award is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which we all praised when we did it on the podcast. And we tossed the idea around tried to find whatever loophole we could to include this in the fixies this year but ultimately it was released in the states in december of 2019 making it ineligible for a 2020 fixie um yeah i mean and and it would be we don't have to say where it would end up on lists and um but i can tell you right now i mean it would be a a best picture nominee best actress nominee certainly best director and best cinematography nominee I mean, this movie, when I, when I went and rewatched this maybe two months ago, the cinematography was the thing that blew me away more than anything. Like, it's just a stunning film. And the way that she captures these two women and their faces and their body language is extraordinary. And I just think, like, like you said, Chapin, it's like the torch has been passed to these filmmakers who are taking this just really beautiful style of filmmaking and putting it into their narrative in a more effective way. I'm I'm intrigued that you found the cinematography moving. I mean, for me, it was the simplicity of the storytelling. And I, and I, and I, when I say that, I often wonder like, do people think I'm insulting the movie when I say that? And I, I really don't mean to say that. It's it's, think of Walter Subcheck. It's such a simple beauty. This is the simplicity, (laughs) the simplicity of it. and, And that's true. And, I mean, like, I mean, this is such a bad example, but like, you look at like a like a Zack Snyder movie, Snyder movie, um, or you look at like some overly complicated drama. Like, you even look at Mank, you know, a movie that you know is sometimes a little challenging to follow what's going on. And I feel stupid when I watch those movies that I don't know what's going on or that I can't follow what's going on. I feel like a bad, mm-hmm. you know, film viewer. But the truth is that when you have a simple plot like girl goes to island to paint portrait of a woman for so she could be you know married off to a man from milan and they fall in love that gives you so much more space to have interesting and intriguing and um bright beautiful characters occupy that space and 
you know, there's so much room for that. And when, when, you know, when you're going from this plot thing to that plot thing to this thing, you know, your mind is trying to catch up with what's going on. And you, you know, we, we really like one thing I've learned after this year, Christopher Nolan, (laughs) I mean, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're absolutely right. Like, um, and, and when, when you're trying to figure these things out and um, like, like intended, that was a, that was one of the, you can see like the emotion, the emotionality su- suffered for that, from that, for that reason. Um, and this film just like let that breathe. And, and it was so effective. So screenplay, right. another category where that would have contended. Well, to, to add to Chapin's like, yes, you ha- you have room to sort of explore and let it breathe and, and do all these interesting things, but you also have room to make mistakes. And I think like Ammonite is a good example of had this movie sure. gone, gone the other way. And it's kind of interesting to have both those movies to compare them to each other, because I think one does take the, those breathing room and, and, and makes beautiful characters and cinematography and tells that story while the other, it seems is unable to really develop Which what, is interesting it, what it's trying to say. Because Am- Am- Ammonite is not overly complicated plot wise either. That's my point. Yeah, so is like you, when you have that room, you can, you can either take it and use it mm-hmm. for, for the movie's benefit, or you could, you, it, it also leaves more room for error is what well, I'm saying. It yeah. is more complicated because there's more characters. Like there, there's like four people in who speak yeah, that's true. in there's... that film in, in portion of a lady on fire. And in Ammonite, you've got like the husband and then you've got the mother and then you've got, you know, yeah, but, Essentially, it's relatively close. I mean, those other people don't have as that much screen time. I mean, I I also I I, I don't want to just like keep going back to this, but like again, I was so moved by the the photography in Portrait of a Lady on Fire that I'm I was sucked into that movie so much more than An- Ammonite. Not that that's a bad looking movie, but it's much more dull. I mean, there there's a vibrancy. And like a softness to the filmmaking in Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which yeah. I thought was unique. Like it's a, it's almost a, um, the the focus is almost just like slightly off intentionally. Um, uh, yeah, I think they to use kind of like, soften the edges. Yeah, there's some filter, uh, interesting filter use on that film for sure. Yeah, and, and it's a, it's really, it's really compelling, and it draws you in, and and I think it's, you know, like I said, it's intentional, but it like it, it shows you that the line is blurred between what is going on and these characters' minds and in these characters' lives and and those little things make a difference and they're interesting and they add a layer and a depth to the movie that I don't think Ammonite had. Um, so Portrait of a Lady on Fire, the winner of the first honorary in between award. In between. That sounds like it. Oh, Maybe fuck, we should change the name. <laughs> um all right guys, so now finally, let's we've discussed 2020 films for about 35 minutes here let's move on to what chapin's favorite part will be i want to know this is this is a safe zone now this is a part of the podcast where where you won't be judged okay you know we speak for yourself we we're we're inundated with emails weekly about you know guys like guys you like you've you know you've i've reevaluated my whole life you've reinvigorated my love for movies you're so smart like all these things and stuff but sometimes we just like to kind of sit back and just talk about movies we don't want to always you know have our critics hats on so that's what we're going to do now we're going to talk about and we're going to admit 
the movies that we watched when we were supposed to be watching Fixie Contenders, okay? Yep. The cliffhangers, if you will. I'll, I mean, I'll come right out and admit it. I There's a film, a uh, 2020 film called House of Hummingbird. It's a Korean film. Uh, ended up getting marked as not a priority on our list because I did finish it, but I rented it, and I was watching it, and about 30 minutes in, I was really, really having a hankering for Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> so not only did I shut off house of hummingbird but i went to see if i could watch wolf of wall street it was not streaming anywhere for free so i had to rent that but not only did i rent that that, i had to buy it and not only did i buy it but i bought a scorsese three pack because it sounded like a better deal well yeah which included shutter island which i own as in stream and is streaming on netflix and it included bringing out the dead which is streaming on netflix and i will never want to watch so (laughs) He spent about $25 on Wolf of Wall Street to watch instead of my fixie contenders, and I enjoyed every minute of it. So um, your turn, guys. What 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 have been your escape films? Oof. This has been a year that we've needed those. You know, I've watched Fast and the Furious for the first time. I've watched more DC movies than I care to admit. Watched, uh, you know, some bad ones. I watched Godzilla vs. Kong. I saw that. Jesus. Go ahead. <laughs> um, it's a 2021 movie. That technically counts. I rented Black Hat again. <laughs> okay, Michael Mann's worst movie. Don't know why. I watched Thief a couple nights ago. It's uh, streaming on So it's streaming on HBO Max. I uh, rented... So Chapin's just been doing a Michael Mann retrospective while we're supposed to be preparing the for the Fixies. The movie, as I admitted to you guys already oh yeah, okay let's dig into one. that that's where i think we need to spend i our watched time uh, focusing. war of the worlds i'm just going through my apple receipts in my email so i just i can tell you exactly <laughs> whatever i did this is quite embarrassing we're gonna get to the best picture noms and japan's gonna be like i have a top three no come on i've done my homework um but uh, i, I, wanna, I, I uh, did i did have like a real like come to jesus moment about this part of our lives um and I, 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 I've, what I've, the, the conclusion I've come to is that these two things can occupy the same space. We can talk about the pretentious, fixie consideration movies that we love and that we, especially this time of year, like try to see and, and talk in depth about. And those can be like really great movies. And at the same time, we can like to watch Cliffhanger on a Friday night with, you know, I'm sure you had a drink or two. Lee, um, I'm not drinking now, so e- I, even more excuse to watch those type of movies. But so, but what I'm saying I'm is though, that too. space; you, those things can occupy the same space. You can watch, you know, the fourth episode of Small Axe, and simultaneously, you know, and and part of your brain can be like, I know that this is a great movie, but I really just want to watch Cliffhanger again, and that doesn't make you a bad sure. cinephile. Those just are two different things. Like sometimes you're in the mood for a very um, luxurious, Guys, multi I multi uh, course uh, meal. Godzilla versus Kong the other night. I, you don't have to explain this to me, Chapin. I'm 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 there with you. I've graduated to that that state of mind. I don't know if Jeremy has yet. Um, remains to be seen. But we this is not something that we would have admitted or even thought was a, a possibility ten years ago. Um, but I agree. Like I, I get, I, I have, especially look, 
you know, the, obviously we don't have to come on this podcast to tell people that 2020 was a difficult year for a number of reasons, but we all had our individual challenges um, beyond the pandemic itself. And sometimes when things like that are going on, you know, small acts is just not on the top of my list. Entourage, the movie is. Um, and that's right. I have not forgotten that shape. And we're going to dig more into that in a couple minutes. But <laughs> Jeremy, where do you stand on the like mindless Godzilla Here versus go. Kong? I know you had no interest in go. watching that, but I would never have watched that if it weren't on HBO Max. But and it was the dumbest movie that I did not even really yeah, have fun. I, with, I don't but... even get I don't get enjoyment out of that. Like I, 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 I have zero interest in saying that. Wait, um, in, in just that so... movie or that type uh, of movie a lot of those type of movies like i just i don't i don't get the escapism as much so what is it for you tv a lot of like, people it's tv it's like i i yeah it's tv it's being it's either throwing on an episode of something i've seen a million times or if even I'm, like i t- turn on youtube tv and the office is on and it just has it's it's on all the time so you can just play it and watch it for six hours if you just not even paying attention um i mean obviously i love finding good shows like we watched uh we watched the great which i highly recommend which is on hulu um very funny sort of lanthimos like uh tv show uh but yeah that's sort of where i go it's either going to be another bob's burgers episode uh, another re- arrested development episode or it's going to be a new tv show um i very rarely will go for like hey i haven't you know haven't seen the new marvel widow maker well that, that, that's thing. that's that's yeah, we watched that lydia and i watched captain marvel the other night which actually was oh, was not bad for i couldn't even movie. finish that See, movie. i have no interest i couldn't even really finish it was good no, but look, look, um, like Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh in like tight little suits, like I'm there. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be on Disney Plus Premiere. Ooh, yeah, Chapin, you're gonna have to pay an extra thirty dollars. <laughs> okay. But that. look, like, I, I think there's there. Chapin, Chapin using Disney Plus for his erotic material. <laughs> There, there is. I need Disney Plus. But there is their own ex- same exhaustion in those Marvel movies too. Like, like they just. You know, like we're so sick of them, and okay, Chapin. What? So you you text us. You you. It was interesting. Like you were like a month or two behind me on your decision to rewatch the entire series of Entourage for whatever reason. I was doing that for a, a stretch this year, and then I got to the end, and I was like, man, I. I I should watch the movie. Yeah. Which I will I will come on this podcast and admit I saw in the theater. Oof. One of the worst movies I've ever seen in the theater. Um but I did in but what was strange is that despite uh Entourage being an HBO show and the entire series being on HBO, the movie is not on HBO Max. Um so you would have had to rent it and I didn't. I chose not to. I passed. Fast forward a few months later, Chapin goes on his Entourage bend finishes the series and you then rented the movie chapin would you like to tell us a little bit about that experience had you ever seen it i had i think i had seen it i don't think i saw it in theaters like you did but uh <laughs> no look i mean i was looking for some escapism something to just kind of like fall asleep to at night um and you know i i like entourage i think in retrospect it's like 
just the way they talk and treat women in that show is just (laughs) like (laughs) unbelievable um right right from the first scene of the first episode and and like it's not just it's not just like the characters talking about women like that's one thing but the women when they come on the show are like are just sex objects like they're and 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 yeah, 100%. You know, like when I was 25, that was a little more appealing than it is now. Um and but generally like I like the show uh despite the those criticisms. It reminds me of our time in LA, not that it was anything like that, but um you know, no, it's just like well, we watched that, that show. People this is, people don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly like that. It was exactly like that. Um but you know, like I you know, it's it being I think what I what I like most about that show is like that this sort of like male fantasy of you know that we we joke about it all the time of like you know going back and living together in a house and like but like actually having yeah. money um, in your thirties and forties because they were definitely yeah pushing yeah 40 uh, and so that. that that was a, a nice escape but yeah I mean it's just so easy like it's just so easy to watch but it's and it's like. It actually isn't. I, I rewatched it too recently, some of it, and it isn't. I I expected to hate it, and I uh, this time around, but I actually kind of still enjoyed it's, it a little it's, bit. It's, it's, it's the first has... like three or four seasons are are really well written, and again, like I I, I feel like I have to disclaimer because if anybody goes back and watches that that show in this era, like, but like it, it and it's it's well written despite all the awful women stuff i mean like you know that doesn't necessarily disqualify you from being a good writer if you have disgusting opinions about women unfortunately but um and it's interesting because like whatever uh i was going to talk about the the social dilemma but you didn't even ask me lee about documentary so uh that's fine but you know whatever pixel or or whatever the software is spying on me must have known that i was on a um, Entourage Marathon on HBO Max because I was for some reason pushed that uh, Instagram videos from the Victory podcast, which is like Kevin Dillon and Kevin Connolly and the creator of and have like a really like a, a I got robust a lot of those po- too, yeah. podcast empire. Um, and they're just like, especially Doug Ellen, the creator, is just like this like bitter, you know, jerk from new york and i mean i'm i don't know i don't really know him but he like i don't know it, it's it's interesting to like he's like clearly someone who had a show of 10 years that everybody loved and hasn't really done anything since hasn't done know? anything since yeah um and and i think what's interesting about that show is like i went back and i looked like how many was this really a phenomenon and it wasn't you know like i don't think it ever got more than two million view viewers um you know, compared to Sopranos or Game of Thrones or whatever, but you know, it was kind of uniquely in our little niche. Okay, guys. Well, um, do you guys have our our list in front of you guys pulled up? Our uh, what list? Our list. The pre-show list? No, no, no. The list of the movies, the checkboxes, uh, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so go to the 2021 tab. Um, right now, it's in the order of release date. Do you guys have a a thought on what the first movie you'll see in the theater is? Because looking wow. through, for me, although it seems like it's a long way away, it may be Top Gun Maverick, which is July 2nd. But I don't oh, know yeah. that any of these other ones I'm going to be really tempted to go to the theater, even if I'm 
you know. How are there maxed. already skips on here? Oh, right. Because of their meta scores. One of them has a nine on Metacritic. Any thoughts, guys? I, I think uh, mine's going to be the same. Oh, that's depressing. Um, that's too far away. Oh, yeah. Top Gun. But I don't see anything I mean, else on here that's want coming to... out like end of May or in, or June that's like a one I'd be dying to see in the theater. Right. And I want that first one to be a big movie. Yeah, that's I true. want it to be like, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a Top Gun or, or just a giant action movie or like Bond. I don't know when Bond's coming out, but that would that's be a fall, good one. I think. Do we want to talk about uh, like the best score or editing or anything like that that we're not going to get to in the fixies? Uh, sure. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. Or we could talk about which movie had the cutest kid because there's <laughs> the between hit, the hitman's rocks, wife, the, the little boy in really rocks, and Chapin's on another podcast. Still. Yeah, he's uh, d- doing something this, else. This it, list existed. The kid. So. No, the the winner so, I'm gonna, for it's cutest the Rock's kid. kid versus the Minari kid. The Minari kid wins because of his award acceptance speech when he cried. Yeah, that that's was the, pretty. That's that my favorite great. movie of the year. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. I hope I hope I get to work again or be in another movie. That was amazing. Yeah. If he does it, it's, it's that's yeah. gonna be really sad. It's <laughs> uh, last movie. What else do you guys have? Anything? Anything else? We got. The, we have score. The Let's talk about score. I'm very curious. Do you guys have like a, a favorite score? Is it and is it Tenet, Chapin? I, I love Tenet the, score I mean, is I, good. The Tenet score is really good. Um, I really like the Nomadland score. Nomadland um, is, a gr- is a great. I remember one that. I like the main. Yeah, score. the main one was. A, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. I preferred the. I preferred Soul's score to Manx's for giving uh, Trent, yeah. Trent Reznor and Atticus Rasa. A, um, an award. Yeah, interesting. Um, I just like that. So they they changed their sound very much for Mank, and I like what their sound usually is, and that's what you hear in Soul. Um, so yeah. I'll take that. Um, what else? I feel like and there's Mina- definitely some Minari others. was a good score too. I felt like um, uh, I can't recall what it was, but I feel like um, Judas and the Black Messiah might have had a good score too. Oh. So and this was nominated for an Oscar, which I, I always like his scores. This is not a movie that I think is going to be on any of our nomination lists, but the Five Bloods, um, Terrence Blanchard's score in that, I always like his. Well, music. the the Five Bloods had pro- had my favorite uh, comedic moment. Yeah, that is the funniest of moment of the, of the <laughs> That's year. That's the yeah. funniest <laughs> moment of the year when he jumps on the grenade. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> doesn't he just yell grenade and then... <laughs> yeah and there's no one near it like, was that supposed to, he was that, even was save that supposed anybody? to be funny why is that movie on so many <laughs> lists what's what is wrong with people <laughs> funniest movie of the year lee I, I i have to i'm sorry i'm going back to this list but the uh you i'm, I'm big step for you highlighting a french dispatch as a must-see uh t- tell me about it like I had to use two hands to click it. Um, that's Wes Anderson's upcoming film. I mean, the cast in that is killer, which he always has great casts. But 
I'm not a big fan of Wes Anderson movies. I don't expect that I'll like it that much. That'll be an interesting one to discuss. I like how uh, the director of Don't Look Up is his location is Jeremy Fisk. <laughs> you like that? So, guys, uh, do we want to like just give some brief? Now that we're talking about those things, like a brief thought about what might be nominated next year. I mean, we do have a, like a, a unique look at what's going to come out in the sense that that's true. Twenty twenty, a lot of twenty twenty has moved to twenty twenty one. So, should we make? Should we each make up a, a prediction? Well. For something that's going to be a big contender. Sure. I mean, I expect Maestro, Maestro from Bradley Cooper. Um, I, I, and this is assuming some of these are going to actually come out. I mean, I think if if the ones that didn't if get don't look up is more like um, more like the Big Short than Vice, then I think it's got a good chance of doing really well. Netflix will put a shit ton of money behind that movie. Um, you know, it's not going to win any awards for locations, but you know, it'll, it'll, it'll do okay. Because they weren't that good, yeah. That, Last night in Soho, Edgar Wright's new movie, Ugh. um, looks really good. Yeah, I worry about Don't Look Up. Like, it's either gonna work. Like, it, it's it's very specific with its humor. Like, it's not subtle. It's not a subtle movie at no, all. And, but nor was but, any of those other movies. No, but it's like it's really on the nose, and it, it it can work. Like it reads really well, and the the humor can work. But I also worry that it could it could get closer to a uh, uh, old Will Ferrell Adam McKay sort of tone than a big short tone. He um, we'll see though. Apparently, he's got a podcast coming out about the making of the. Yeah, they asked people to to interview for it. He I don't um, think I was he was on. I listened to uh, Conan O'Brien needs a friend. He was talking to Adam McKay today, and they oh really? They, I'll have they to brought up. They, they talked about you, which was weird. Um, That's great. Yeah, he told the shut it down story. Well, he has. You have to lead with that. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I was actually even like, this could have been like a big thing. Like maybe he'll bring this up. That would have been amazing. <laughs> And then he's like, then my location manager, the Jeremy Fish. Shut it down. Yeah, and then and then we turn around and there was like going. five people there. I don't know what he. Yeah, was. we just kept going and it was, he was embarrassed. <laughs> okay, guys, finish up your movies that you need to finish. Finalize your list. Get them over to Palmer and Associates, and then we encourage everybody to send in your voice memos. You've got homework too. Let us know your favorites of the year. What you're looking forward to coming in the next year. Not necessarily movies, but just like, yep. oh, the taste of popcorn and sitting next to some fat guy who farts. You know, like uh, these are the special Anything. moments that we've missed. Right? <laughs> so we want to hear from you. Just go on your phone. Go to voice recordings. Speak for 30 seconds. Save it. Email it to feedback at gyffpodcast.com. Or feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. No, don't we simplify and, the email address? Do you, don't give the old email address. Okay, so you have two options, right? <laughs> Both options. So, so, so send <laughs> send the first email to gyff feedback and then cc. Get no, your, not gyff feedback. Oh, Jesus! I don't even know what the new email is. Feedback at gyffpodcast.com. Send them over, and then tune in next week 
for the sixth annual Fixie Awards. We're very excited. We hope you are too. We'll see you then. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.